praise you. We love you. And we thank you. Thank you for blessing us and keeping us. Thank you for strengthening us and guiding us. Thank you for guarding us and leading us and bringing us to this day, to this opportunity to worship you. And thank you, Lord God, for responding from the heavens to our worship. Help us remember Jesus always, to honor you always in all that we say and do. Please bless us this morning to rid our minds of all worldly thought, that we might focus only on you, on your word, your will, and your way. These things we ask and pray in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ would be thy will. Amen. We are continuing our lesson on the cherubim this morning. Uh, remember that we're studying the cherubim, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're trying to get to a point. And we'll get there. We'll get there, Lord willing, in the lesson to come. But the cherubim are celestial beings mentioned throughout the pages of Scripture. And they hold a significant place in God's ultimate plan. And the cherubim are very inspiring. They encircle God's throne, declaring His glory and executing His divine purposes. While their exact nature remains a mystery to all of us, right? Trying to really understand them. Their presence throughout Scripture is undeniable and it testifies to their significance, if you will, in God's creation and in God's realm. I want to just for a moment turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And you might say, that doesn't really fit. And you'd be right. Beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which formerly you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, God saved us by his love and by his mercy. And Tim did a great job talking about that this morning. God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. And the cherubim are not. And that's really important. Because the cherubim are an order of created beings concerned with guarding the holiness and sanctity of God. We're going to Ephesians, uh, Isaiah rather, chapter, chapter 6. They are not actually called angels. They're heavenly beings, whatever that means. Seraphim are amongst this order of these scary, uh, powerful angels, or created beings, should I say, that God himself has made. Isaiah 6 and verse 1, uh, In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Seraphim, the fiery ones. Cherubim, the ones who hold fast. Ezekiel chapter 1. They are especially interested in God's law, being recognized, being respected, and being obeyed. They magnify the righteousness and sovereignty of God. And so when Ezekiel describes the cherubim, we looked at in detail last week. We'll just review for just a moment. You need to recognize that this being is designed specifically for a purpose intended to ensure the protection of the throne of God and the law of God. Verse 1, Ezekiel says, Now it came about the thirteenth year on the fifth day of the river of the fourth month while I was by the river Kabar. Among the exiles, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Verse 10, And as for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All, had the four, all four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Interesting, unique, and different. Chapter 10, Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 14. Each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose up. They are the living beings that I saw by the river Kibar. He's talking about chapter 1. And then verse 20, these are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kibar. So I knew that they were cherubim beneath the throne of God. Now, when you turn to Revelation, there are the exact resemblance, if you will, of these beings in Revelation. And you know the book of Revelation, some have said is a very terrifying book, and there are mysteries, and there's great excitement in the book. But it's all about the victory of the saints and the ultimate destruction of the enemy of God, of Rome in particular. Ezekiel describes the same living beings, but I want us to grab and, and, and gain a deeper understanding of kind of what they do. Revelation 4, verse 5. And from the throne proceeds flash of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around them and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne 
and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. And in this they are speaking even of themselves. The attendants of the throne of God have this amazing amount of reverence and reverential fear and respect and guardianship. You know, we have all those jokes about the pearly gates. Well, when I get to the pearly gates, let's get through the cherubim first. Chapter 5, verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp. And the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they were, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come. A voice of thunder. And then chapter 15 in verse 5, I, just, just to show you the, 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 the guardianship and the nature of these beings. After these things I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony and heaven was open. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded round about and their breasts with golden girdles. The question this morning is, do I have a reverence and awe for God. I mean, we read this last week. We're reading more this week. And you look at these beings with, with the, you know, multiple wings. And I'm going to Psalm 99. Multiple wings and, and, and the scary faces, the four faces and, and the, the, the expanse over their head and all the things about these beings that move like lightning and just... And they're guardians of the throne of God. And God made them for that particular purpose. And this morning I wonder if we have more reverence for God and more fear of God than we do some created being that God has made. And we love God and we serve God because we love God and perfect love casts out fear. But you got to start with the reverence first, right? The cherubim demand that justice 
prevails. The cherubim demand that you and I get what we deserve without mercy. It's God who's full of mercy. The cherub serves God. They worship God. They execute the justice of God. The throne of God is described as sitting above the cherubim. These are guardians. Guardians of the throne of God. Listen to Psalm 99 beginning in verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherub. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise Thy great and awesome name. Holy is He, and the strength of the King loves justice. Thou hast established equity. Thou hast executed justice and righteousness. And Jacob, exalt the Lord our God, and worship at His footstool. Holy is He. This morning, what is my attitude in worship? The cherub served as guardians of paradise. We read that last week. The cherub stands between the transgressor and the holy. I'm going back now to Exodus chapter 36. Because I want us to dig just a little bit deeper now into the point we're trying to get to. We've got to dig just a little bit deeper to get to that point. The image of the cherub, interestingly, was woven into the veil and the curtain standing between the transgressor and the holy. Now keep in mind, understanding that the veil, remember on the day that Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent or torn from top to bottom. Well, that veil that was very thick and very, very tall and very wide and very broad, that veil had a woven image, if you will, of the cherub. In Exodus 36, as God describes this and shows that he ordained this, verse 8, And all the skillful men among those who were performing the work made the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman, Bezalel, made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, 4 cubits. All the curtains had the same measurements. Jump over to Exodus 26. Exodus 26. Now, I'm not getting into the curtain necessarily. I just want you to grab and understand and see the cherub is woven within the curtain. Exodus 26 in verse 31, the Bible says, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. And you shall... Hanging on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold. Their hooks also being of gold on four sockets of silver. And you shall hang up the veil under the clasps. And shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. Oh, now I'm getting a better picture. 
So the veil was up. And the priest who would enter before God, before the Ark of the Covenant, would have to enter through the veil. But before he entered through the veil, he had to cleanse himself and go through the purification laws. And if he did not do that, if he approached the veil to enter through, he would die. Why? Because the guardians execute judgment without mercy. Leviticus, please, chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. I want to just read verses 1 and verse 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord irreverently, remember that? Nate having to to you. When they approached the presence of the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark lest he Die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So as the priest, I'm going to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5. As the priest would enter into that veil, or through that veil, this is the high priest, by the way, who entered once a year. As the high priest would enter into that veil, they would go or pass through the cherub. There's a difference between being clean and sinless versus being filthy and sinful. And a filthy and sinful man must never enter into that veil or through that veil. Or even, if you will, in one sense, approaching God of the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon made a temple. When Solomon made the temple... He also had the cherub. And I want to show you first that it's, it's designed by God to be there. 1 Kings chapter 5 and, and verse 5, the Bible says, And behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, as the Lord spoke to David, my father, saying, Your son whom I will set on your throne in your place, he will build the house for my name. Now listen to what God gives as instructions in building the Ark of the Covenant. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 21. So Solomon overlaid in the inside of the house with pure gold. And he drew chains of gold across the front of the inner sanctuary. And he overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also, the whole altar which was by the inner sanctuary, he overlaid with gold. Also, in the inner sanctuary, he made the two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. And five cubits was the one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the other wing of the cherub. From the end of one wing to the end of the other wing were ten cubits. And the other cherub was ten cubits. Both the cherub were of the same measurement and the same form. The height of the one cherub was ten cubits, and so was the other cherub. And so basically what you're looking at is you're looking at a 15-foot-tall cherub. Seven-and-a-half-foot wingspan on one end and seven-and-a-half on the other. And a cherub in the center. And we describe the cherub 
last week. And the cherub is the guardian of the throne. Well, why am I mentioning the cherub? Why is the cherub so important? Come back next week. We'll talk about that one. I kind of feel like I was just thinking to myself and preparing my lesson. I feel like, like uh, Esther, you know, telling uh, Xerxes to come to her banquet. You know, come, come to the next banquet. Next week, we'll get into the, the point. Next week, I'll make the point. So now you have to come back again. But I want to close us out tonight with Hebrews chapter 10. Cherubs stand between the holy and the unholy, between the righteous and the wicked, between the clean and the unclean. And I wondered in preparing this lesson and speaking of the cherub who are the guardians of the throne, if it would be fair to admonish or encourage us to live our lives right with God. To be right with God. right? God who's full of love. And, and again, this morning's lesson was great. Uh, you can talk about love, God's love, God's mercy, His, His everlasting love. His, you know, well, who could even explain that? We can't. What does it even mean? We, just the depth of it is so incredible. But there are two sides to God. There's the God's love and truth, and then there's God's wrath. Look, church, don't stand on God's wrath full side. Stay with the Lord. Let's know what God says. By way of inspiration. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, keep in mind that, that idea. Now, here you are, you're the high priest, and you're about to enter through this veil. You got to take a real good look at yourself. <laughs> and you need to step back for a moment and say, okay, now I'm going through all the, you know, the, the rituals, all that God asked me to do to cleanse myself and my family before I enter into that veil. Let me tell you something they did. Historically speaking, they would tie a rope on the ankle of the high priest. Because the high priest didn't do exactly what God commanded him to do, and he walked through the veil. What did the Bible say? He will die. Who's going to go get him? Right? <laughs> no one. So the rope was tied to his ankle. If we go on sinning willfully, church, who's going to stand before God? For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And you listen to that scripture and you go, wait a minute, where is this God full of mercy and love and compassion? And Well, why would you sin willfully when you get to know God? <laughs> right? It's the love of God that we have for Him that drives us away from sin. That, that makes us, if you will, obey Him and love Him and serve Him and, and keep His commandments. Not because God ordained it, not because God commanded it necessarily. In the beginning, it's because of that. But it's because I love God. And I want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to willfully sin, right? But if you learn about God and how great God is and how wonderful God is, and you still willfully sin, the cherub demands that justice prevail without mercy. We're begging for the mercy of God. I'll make that, that's next week, sorry. 
but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. And the fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment will, do you think, will deserve he who trampled underfoot the Son of God? Oh, that, okay, that makes sense now. That when I'm sinning willfully, can you imagine a cherub watching Jesus Christ in the execution? Can you imagine the cherub watching Jesus Christ and, and all of the, all the things that humanity did to him? And can you imagine God saying to them, stay? <laughs> Scary, huh? Because if they had their will or their way, it would have never happened. We would all have died lost. But when we sin willfully, we are putting Jesus back on the cross, Hebrews 6. We're trampling on Jesus like he doesn't even matter. Let, us, let it never be said that I would do such a thing. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. And here's a scary verse. I just wonder this verse. Does God say to the cherub, I don't know what God says to the cherub. But the Bible says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now I can look at the cherub and see why it's so terrifying. But God made the cherub. So how much more terrifying? This morning's lesson is not to fill your heart with terror and inflict fear, but just to remind you of the love that God has for you and the love you're supposed to have, we are supposed to have for him. And what God does, he restrains the, the cherub. He says no to the guardians of the throne who want to inflict justice. God's justice that must prevail upon a sin-sick world. Thank you, God. Right? Because that's why he made those beings. You go back and you do some more research and study the law. You go back and study the Torah. You start in, well, you might want to start in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You go study it and read what God says about the cherub. Read Revelation. Read Zechariah. Read, just go back and read and watch what God says about the cherub. Pretty scary. Remember when David said, when he numbered Israel, and God sent the angel, one swipe of the sword, 70,000 people die. Do you think the angel said, oh, I'm so sorry? No, those people got what they deserved. That's what we don't want. We don't want what we deserve. Right? We want mercy. So next week, we're going to talk about that. What then restrains the cherub from inflicting mercy upon a cruel, sinful, wicked, and evil world who tramples the Son of God underfoot over and over and over and over again. And some members of the church don't even care. Scary. This morning, this lesson is yours. 
when we stand before this beautiful and bountiful, loving and merciful God, let's remember how we got there. Let's remember what I truly deserve. And let's pray that I don't get what I deserve. We say it better than I deserve. I wonder how many of us actually mean it. If God is treating me better than I deserve, what kind of lifestyle am I living to show Him my love and appreciation? If God is extending upon me or to me all this mercy and grace and compassion and kindness and How am I showing him how much I appreciate him? That's yours. If you're not a child of God, we encourage you to surrender to God today in the waters of baptism. Hearing his word and believing it. Having godly sorrow in your heart, repentance. Confessing his name before men, being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And then just stick with the Lord and stay with him and stay true to him until the day you leave this earth. And pray, God, that when we leave this earth, we can all say that it was good to be here today in the house of the Lord. That we can all say it's great to be a child of God. And that when you leave this building today, you can say, thank you, God, for your mercy. It's great to be a child of God. And then to know this, because of the greatness of our God, if we serve Him faithfully, it is absolutely impossible for us to lose. The lesson this morning is yours. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you... Yeah.